This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Material is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, my name is George Kalajan. I'm the owner of Tom Sons International Pleading. And the reason why I like materials is because I get to work with my father and create countless possibilities of variations for designers on 7th Avenue. I have a simple question for you. It's do you want to improve your designs, budget plan better, and get that wow factor? Well, if the answer is yes, then this is the conversation for you. We chat with the guy who literally wrote the book on fabric pleating fundamentals. It's George Kalajian. In this episode, you're going to hear about how he pleated his wife's wedding dress, how his family escaped a war in Lebanon, and why his dad is like Google. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto and Samantha Cortez. Hi, George. Hi. How are you? Very good, thank you. I am the owner of Tom Sons International Pleading. We are a pleading contractor, and that means we manipulate fabric for mainly fashion designers, mainly high-end fashion designers. And it's been around since 1931. Did I see that magic number in the logo somewhere? Yes. Uh, 1931 is the year that we officially consider we started working. That was when my grandmother first pleated a skirt by hand for commercial purposes. So I am technically the third generation uh, when it comes to pleating. But upon digging into my family history for uh, researching for my book, I discovered that uh, I am the fifth generation as far as the industry goes. The furthest I've been able to trace it is uh, the textile industry. So my great-great-grandfather had a uh, textile mill. Wow, that is fascinating. And how did you come to New York then? I came to New York basically because my parents escaped a civil war in Lebanon. So in the early 70s, there was some turmoil, and my mom and my dad were like, we need to get out of Dodge. And uh, basically, we came to this country, and my father set up a contracting business here, um, and which shortly turned into a... Um, an actual garment manufacturing. So originally, we were garment manufacturers. My family has been pleading for 83 years, but most people don't know us as a contractor because most of those 83 years, we only pleaded for ourselves. We made the entire garment, everything. So it's only for the past five or six years that I decided to stop making clothing and to do what we do best, which is pleading, and to offer that service to the world. And what really makes us unique is that there is no other pleading manu- garment. There's no garment manufacturer that actually became a pleader. And, uh, and so as a result of that, we are able to, to offer our clients so much more than just the actual pleading. So for those who don't know, let's take a step back. 
what is pleading and why is this such a, a technical specific uh, manipulation of fabrics and what are the considerations that go into it? Okay, very good question. Uh, pleating is a systematic folding of fabric. Um, it is a lot more complex than most people think it to be because there are many, many, many variables. Prior to the book that I wrote, there was no consideration given to the actual variables that have to do with pleating before the actual fabric gets pleated and after the fabric gets pleated. So meaning, what kind of fabric would pleat well? What do you need to do to certain types of fabric that are not ideal, in an ideal condition? For example, the grains are warped, and how would you correct that uh, so that it can get pleated properly? And after that, the question is, what do you do with the pleating? How do you mold or pattern the pleating so that when it's used in the garment construction after, it actually can be sewn effectively and looks aesthetically appealing? So George, your family has been around since 1931. And you moved here and you actually changed industries to go back into the manufacturing. Correct. What is it the importance, what do you think it's important to preserve in this industry? Well, being in the same location is absolutely vital, especially, especially for pleading and other specialized fields, because there is no way to communicate and um, share the results of what the designers need over great distances. When we're all tightly knit together, we can all adapt to the changing variables. Fabrics change, you know, designs change the last minute, uh, things aren't available, things come late, and when we're far away from each other, it just it won't work, it'll collapse. We are an integrated network of people that feed off of each other and help each other. It's just a giant collaboration. So the proximity to each other is is vital. And I love how I saw in your logo, it, it clearly calls out New York, that this meant something to you and to your business and where you've been situated. And I think I also saw Beirut. Is that also? Yes, yes. Uh, my family is, uh, we're Armenian, we're of Armenian descent, and we were born, I was born in, in Lebanon, and uh, there still is a factory in Lebanon. My uncle wow. runs the factory, and he does the pleading for a lot of the Lebanese couture houses, like Eli Sahab, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. You but, bet. Yeah, so all those big dogs, basically, are my uncle's clients, and my cousin is uh, approximately the same age as me, and she is going to continue as as I am also. So we are the last two uh, left in our lineage to continue this. But uh, but yeah. I what mean, a family history and legacy there. Absolutely. And that's considering that you you have two locations on to doing the same type of project. How do you think the differences in, in communications with their designers and, and in New York with your designers just to... 
Are there cultural differences and and business practices that differ between designers with a situs here in New York and those in other locations around the world? Do you find differences in preferences for the work in pleading? Yeah, there are some differences. Uh, They do tend to like different kinds of styles. Like when I talk to my cousin, I ask her, you know, what have you been doing a lot of? And she'll tell me, oh, I did a lot of this this season, that this season. And I'll say, oh, that's interesting. We did the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it really depends on what each designer is is feeling for that season, you know? Yep. And I think I was first introduced to the real technical complexities of pleading with Izzy Miyake and Pleats, please. And you read all about, and I read his book and just seeing how much R&D, I think he had to build an entire lab to, to try to replicate and, and, and do and create what he needed to do. Exactly. From your experience, are there certain types of fabrics and materials that lend themselves really well to pleating and others to stay away? Any best practices? Yes. Uh, synthetics are the best for pleating if you want to really put a lot of mileage on the garment. Polyesters um, are traditionally known to be the best, and they can be hand-washed in cold water, which makes them a lot easier to care for. Silks will last a long time as well if you don't wear them. (laughs) 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 So people, people usually think that, oh, you know, silk won't last. And I say, no, silk will last just as the pleating. But the issue with silk is that since it's a natural fiber, the humidity from the body or from the environment uh, gradually releases the pleats. Unless you put a synthetic fiber on top of it. I mean, a chemical Unless, yeah, you put it, exactly. But nobody wants, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nobody wants chemicals on their body. Right. (laughs) So I'm a designer and I have never worked or done pleating before. Where do I go and what do I do? What does that process look like if I want to work with you either on what you already have available or maybe working on something you haven't done before? So usually designers, we tell them to come to us as soon as possible and give us their concept. That's usually the best method. They show us as many as much inspiration as they can. We asked, we tell them to go to our Instagram feed to look at our pictures. We have over a thousand pictures on there of fabrics as well as garments that have been made by other designers or some kind of a sketch as far as what their concept is, because there really are thousands of variations and it would be impossible for me to make an actual swatch of every type of pleading I can do for every situation. It's just, it's so, it's so case by case. So, and yet I did see online too that you also sell stock yardage of already pleated fabrics as well as yes. developing. Yes. Why? Um, just for ease for the client. Um, sometimes there are certain types of pleading that I stock that require more time to do for smaller quantities. And that's usually machine pleating. Machine pleating, you have to set up the machinery. There's different widths. And if it's just done and and stored easily, as it is with machine pleating, it just makes it easier for everyone. Sometimes people want a yard or two, and they just want to make a quick sample or, or sure. use it as a muslin. It's easier for people. Absolutely. So, George, how, how much do you feel that you're uh, training a lot of the students that already come from the high schools or colleges? Oh, there's a lot of training happening. There's a tremendous amount of training. They, the ironic thing is that this industry or this aspect of fashion pleading, which is one of the oldest 
fabric manipulation methods that there are. Actually, the oldest mm-hmm. garment ever found um, was a pleated garment. No found, way! Yeah, it's, it's a National National Geographic wrote an article about it. It's the oldest garment, like a million years old. Something I had no idea. Something crazy like that. <laughs> so it is the oldest form of fabric manipulation, but it is the it is it has never been documented. Nobody has ever codified the way and the options to pleating. And you just did. We're going to talk about that right after this. Check out Sennheiser's latest Bluetooth in-ear headphones, the HD1 Free. Premium materials and flawless craftsmanship combined with stunning Sennheiser sound all in one small and wireless package. And we're not kidding. This makes a great gift. Learn more at Sennheiser.com. And our listeners can get a 25% discount with the code MouthMediaSen at checkout. That's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N. Find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on materialisyourbusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. We're back, and right before break, we were talking about literally writing the book on pleading. As I'm sitting here and in front of me, I have the book Pleading, Fundamentals for Fashion Design, written by you and with a forward by Jack Soma. And we actually had Mood Fabrics on here on our pilot episode, was it? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, excited to see that. Can you tell us a little bit about this book? Yeah. Well, uh, yes, the forward was written by Jack. He's uh, been friends with my dad for about 40 years. They go back way way back in the day so my dad was very happy about uh, him him actually introducing us um the book was quite a challenge quite an ordeal it took me approximately four years to complete it wow three wow. years in writing and the last year was in um editing it was a very very challenging task because I was writing about something that had never ever been written before or codified ever and arranging the data which was a sea of data in my father's brain pulling that data out of my father's mind because it's not like my dad's like okay son chapter one this is what I pleaded <laughs> you mean books don't get written that way <laughs> no <laughs> so my dad was is, my dad is more like google so it's like you have to ask him a very direct question <laughs> dad how what is the blah blah and then he'll give you an answer so i had to ask him very specific poignant questions get the answers from him go and do it write down what i did and organize it in a logical gradient and then figure out how I can explain that to somebody with a particular concept that isn't it's not like I'm writing chapter one and I'm telling you oh well I talk about this in chapter 10 so just bear with me for now it's like how do I properly give it in 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 the right gradient so that I'm not introducing too much information so 
that was the biggest challenge, I would say, in addition to the fact I absolutely hate writing. And, <laughs> but you did it. Congratulations. Uh, it's here and coming out uh, yes. this week. Yes. We're really excited. Thank you. So if you hate writing, why did you think it's so important to write this book? Because if I didn't write it, nobody else in the world would be able to write this. Nobody else in the world has a father that grew up in the middle of his father's textile factory, his uncle's dyeing mill, his uncle's jacquard factory, weaving factory, his mother's sewing school or his mother's pleading school. So my father lived in and experienced all of these factories and was able to tie the correlations between the actual entire garment process. And so now you've created this resource, this educational tool, really to educate people and, and to tell the story and preserve this information. But when I asked you about the book earlier, you had mentioned that this wasn't the book you intended to write and that you wanted to tell something else. Can you touch on that a little bit? What is that about? That's about everything that we, that my father and I originally wanted to talk about, all of the exciting advancements in pleading were so advanced that this book actually was written so that I can write the next book. This is the fundamentals. This book is that, so if you come to me, we can actually have a conversation and build on it. So the fundamentals, you think that people don't learn that in school or, I mean... They do not learn this in school. Nobody, nobody knows this. And your dad is pretty older right now yes what he is getting up there and it's uh, a little bit difficult to see him getting older and uh so there is a race against the clock to actually extract this information from him especially considering that he's losing his eyesight and uh getting him to check on what i have been doing is is getting more difficult for him to see well, it's really important that obviously we preserve this kind of information and, you know, congratulations on having the book. I know you have a lot of tools and resources on your website as well. Thank but you. as I understand it, this is for the students, but you aren't just for fashion. This really serves across industries, everyone from students and emerging designers to the biggest brands and companies in the world. Is that right? Correct. Correct. We Anyone that actually is going to make a garment, whether it be a costume designer will benefit, you know, we, we would provide services for them. But in addition to that, we do have some interior design firms, you know, ruffling that we do for, for curtains, movie sets. Uh, we've done all kinds of crazy requests. Theater. Oh, wow. Theater, yes, theater. Taking a step away from pleading, um, I also noticed that you have an app Yes. And would love to hear a little bit more about it, because I think beyond just pleading, it offers really good information for anyone who wants to know better how to cost things, how to work even beyond pleading with figuring out fabric choices and with how to relay that information to factories. Can you tell us what the app is like? Sure. The app is called My Production Pal, and it is specific to producing and it does many calculations that are related to pleating. So it will calculate for you how much fabric you would consume um, if you were cutting biocircle skirts. Those are very difficult calculations to do mentally. It would tell you uh, the size of the sunburst accordion pleat 
based on how far the radius is from the the circle of the the, the center of the circle. Uh, these are kind of like like for example, designer will call us and they say, "Oh, we want sunburst pleating," and I'll say, "Okay," and they say, "Well, I want it to be a quarter inch at the waist, and I want it to be an inch and a quarter at the hem," and it's it's really based on geometry. It's based on a circle. You have a half a circle, and how many times, how many divisions you put in that circle, and then how far are you going to cut into that circle away from the center? So if I made a size four skirt, for example, and then I graded it to a size fourteen, the sizing that I did for the size four would not be the same as it is in a 14. So it's very, very mathematical, geometrical, and these things are calculations that you, you I mean, I've, I, I mean, I basically wrote the app for me. I mean, I wrote the app for me. I said, you know what? I need these calculations. If somebody else needs it also, let them buy the app, but at least I have the most expensive iPhone app I ever paid for. <laughs> and then they'll give you... 30-inch fabrics to be able to create that full exactly. fabric. Exactly. Like these are things that are not learned in the industry exactly. if you're not at the factories and exactly. looking at it. There is a lot of things. Can you can you tell me the value of, um, of being in the garment center and being here next to these designers? There is no way I could do what I do if I was not next to the designers. Especially with the 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 how fast paced the designers, how how fast paced the fashion industry is, and how quickly things change, and people run in and they're like, oh my god, the designer changed his mind. We need to do this now. Do you think this knowledge would be completely lost? I I strongly believe. I know we've talked about we've talked about this off off the radio, and we've talked about this. We've been talking about it for the past few months in the the amazing part that you did the book and how how we wish that all other manufacturers will do it because we are losing a lot of talents and we are losing a lot um, in pleating and you have hand embroidery or embroidery or other there's other talents that um, do need to be preserved here in this industry and um, do, do you think that um, the creation of this book did an impact on um, expressing the knowledge i know there's another book to come but do you think that um, there's dumping three more coming three ah, more coming. nice <laughs> that's that's amazing that's amazing personally what drives me is the fact that i realize that the knowledge that has been accumulated in my family and what the people that have come before me have done is so profound to me that that is the main thing that drives me. And, you know, I mean, I work day and night to get this down on paper. So if I don't do this, will this be lost? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you could kind of have a wish or a dream or some kind of thoughts for the industry and where it's going, either around pleading but but larger, with what you've seen and with such an amazing family history and experience, what would it be? Well, my purpose is to codify the language that people use to communicate about pleading. There is no language. Like, somebody can call up a fabric mill and say, I want 19 mummy charmous. And the person would understand what that meant and they would send it to them. 
They can, uh, you can ask for a chiffon. You can ask for an organza. You can go to a pattern maker and you can say, I need you to add quarter inch uh, ease to the sleeve. And we all know that you would have more of a cap. But when it comes to pleating, people that come to me basically become mute. They can't communicate with me. And there's a lot of hand signals going on. So, <laughs> hand signals. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that for me would be my what I would wish. And I'd also wish for my dad to lose about 10 years. <laughs> yeah. He'll, um, like I always say, they'll teach you how to grow, expand, do certain things in your life, but they'll never teach you how to live without them. Yeah. Um, right. But going back to, the industry and fashion. If you had a wish list on type of equipments that you would would want to have, it existing or not existing, what would be your wish list on the machines that you would like to bring in? Well, one of the machines that exists in the world is basically, uh, I do plan on getting a computerized cutting machine, a CAD cutting machine, so that uh, there's many, many designs that we uh, that we would like to make that, would, that that machine would make it easier for us. A lot of math involved in what we do, so that would make it a lot easier. The other machines uh, are actually, like, my father has invented many tools, so there are many other tools that I would like to make with my father, and I can't tell you what they are because I'd have to kill you, <laughs> <laughs> but they're all secret tools that my father has invented in order to make more amazing pleats. Did he keep them to himself or are they patented oh. and sold as Oh no, they're hidden away and they're they're totally top secret. I mean, there's an aspect of my business that is totally top secret. Interesting. So you think this will improve the speed of the um the the process? Absolutely. It will I will be able to go to market probably so much faster. I mean, something that would take us maybe a month, I can literally do in one weekend with my dad. And so less men? Less manpower, much more precision. Um, yeah, manpower, precision, and aesthetic and accuracy. I mean, I can't wait until I, I get this new machine because what I will be able to make has never been seen before. So this is why the talent should be preserved for not necessarily the knowledge for but just the know-how on how to produce and make things faster. I agree. Well, I, I want to throw in one little bit of a challenge here, though, and I find it very interesting because, you know, I, I love it and, and applaud you for writing this book and you're wanting to get the story and the education and the information and the app out there. Mm -hmm. um, but then I did just hear you say, which is also very interesting, that there are certain tools and information that you know, instead of patenting them and selling these tools, it, it is a secret and it will stay in the drawer and you're not sharing them. So I just wonder kind of the differences in a, in approach and what is your future business model and plan then with this information and these tools? Okay, so there's two aspects to what we do. Yep. So there is what do you do with pleading? Mm -hmm. And that is really what I teach people. What do you do with it? Now, actually making the pleating requires a lot of specialized machinery, 
uh, and tools to make it. Now, most people, you know, don't really want to make their own pleats. It would be like, you know, like, I don't know. What, not, not worth their business, not, their time, it's, it's their effort. Not, exactly. It doesn't make sense for their creation. Exactly, exactly. Now, you know, pleating has always been very secretive. You know, there was, I don't know if you're familiar with Mariano Fortuny. He, he'd, so he had a secret uh, patented type of uh, pleating that he, he did not share with the world. Uh, so it's very normal for pleaders to have secrets. As a matter of fact, my family, when we were younger, my grandmother made so much money pleading that they were very, very uh, secretive of their way of making income. I mean, it's proprietary knowledge. It's like Coca-Cola doesn't say what mm -hmm. the formula is for Coca-Cola. Now, as far as the future, you know, I just got married five weeks ago. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So let's see about the future generations. Let's <laughs> ah, see. That's great. That's Fantastic. great. We'll be back right after this. Hey everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mount Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Remnants. Remnants are fun personal questions. Samantha, I know you wanted to go first. Well, I spoke to you a few months ago, and you were weeks into getting married. That impacted me because um, I said, she must really love him because he was the first person that I know of that was creating the wedding dress for the young lady that's actually here in our studio. <laughs> and he hasn't even started it. I'm like, oh my gosh, she must really love him because I would have killed him with my nervous breakdown. <laughs> yeah, Talk does... to us about that one. <laughs> well, the dress actually didn't finish until the night before we were getting on the plane. Um, nine o'clock at night. <laughs> Nine o'clock at night, we were leaving the next morning to go to the Caribbean. It was a destination wedding. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was quite a dress. It was all hand pleated, and uh, it was about three weeks of uh, labor on there. Uh, there was a lot of hand pleating and um, and draping, and plus, she wasn't really around that much. So it was trying to fit it in between, uh, in between fittings. But, uh, you know, we just kept on, you know, a lot of things changed. A lot of things changed and uh, kept on 
chugging away at it and finally finally finished the last millisecond talk the about- question is did you get a lot of headache did i get with, a lot of headache no, headache not because of the dress but because of your wife at first wife. at first she was like telling me i just talked to my girlfriend and my girlfriend said what your wedding is in two weeks and you haven't even seen the dress oh my god and i was like listen relax don't worry about it. i know what i'm doing and she's like what do you mean relax this is my wedding what if i don't like it and i was like listen if i don't like it I'm like, then you have to worry about something. If I like it, you're going to love it. Trust me. I'm the most critical person there is. So, um, so that basically, that, she, was very, she was very calm. She actually did very, very well. I mean, like, even the fittings like two, three days before. And I'd be like, okay, tomorrow it'll finish. Tomorrow it should finish. Tomorrow it should finish. But that there was is. so much handwork. There was so much handwork on that dress. Was I mean, that your that favorite, is- hardest thing you've ever pleated? Or do you have another favorite? I would say that is probably my favorite dress because it became much more my favorite dress on the day when I actually saw her in it and we were on a boat and uh, and the wind was blowing and it was totally validated by all the people that were on the boat that were like, oh my God, how much did this dress cost? Was it a $100,000 dress? And I'm like, well, no, not quite that much. But uh, but it, it looked beautiful. And the she power of the wow it. factor in pleading. It's the combination of labor and love. Exactly. There was a lot of love that went into that. Is your first memory of ever pleading anything, being in the factory, seeing your family do it? Do you have a strong, vivid memory? Yes. I got in trouble. Huh? <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> we were in my dad's factory and I had just seen Superman and I was probably, I don't know, four, five years old. And I saw some red fabric on the shelf. Little did I know it was like red, you know, silk, Italian silk, uh, charmeuse. And mm-hmm. it was quite expensive. I think it was, I think it was satin actually. So I just ra- I grabbed it, I pulled it off the shelf, I tied it around my neck, and I started running around the factory <laughs> with this fabric. And this fabric was probably $200 a yard. And back then, $200 a yard was a hell of a lot more than $200 a yard now. So I basically destroyed the fabric and uh, got all dirty and nasty. And uh, I'm like, oh, look at me, Dad, look at me. And all of a sudden, everyone's face is like in total panic. <laughs> So that is the earliest memory of uh, havoc I created. Uh, yeah, but you have that memory now to share. So maybe it was worth the two hundred dollars a yard to, <laughs> well, to do it. Nowadays, it would have been like a thousand dollars. Can Not you to... can you give us a final thought, maybe as you reflect back either on this interview, working with your father, your personal life, any message you want to leave our listeners with, any words of wisdom, anything you wish that someone had told you. When you were younger, getting into this business? To find something that you are very passionate about. I grew up in this industry and I didn't really have as much of an appreciation for it when I was younger as when I was older. I left and uh, went to different industries and I realized that my basic purpose in life was to create something beautiful. Um, and Working with my family now is a joy with my dad. I mean, we go to work every day and we're very excited and we always come up with new ideas to innovate. And sometimes I can't even wait to the next morning and I call my dad at night and I'm like, dad, I just figured out something, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, okay, good. Let's try it tomorrow. 
So moral of the story is that, you know, follow your passion, follow your bliss, because I am very, 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 very motivated and very, very, have a very strong purpose in what I do. And I can basically level mountains doing what I do with my dad because nothing can stop me. I love that. And how can people connect with you and with your business? Just uh, email me. My email is george at internationalpleading.com. Or they can find me on Instagram. They can message me on Instagram. Um, it's uh, at International Pleading. That's basically the best ways to get in touch with me. Thank you so much, George, for joining us on air. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. And for Samantha Cortez, adios. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everybody. See you next time on Material Is Your Business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.